Hear these words from Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and your daughters, both your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Will you pray with me once again? God Almighty, Lord, I pray that as we hear your word preached this morning, Lord, I pray that they would not be my words. I pray that I would simply be, be a vessel. Lord, I pray that when this congregation hears my voice, they would hear your words speaking to them. I pray that your word as it goes forth, Lord, would be effective. I pray that it would convict hearts that need to be convicted. I pray that it would encourage hearts that need to be encouraged. Above all, O oh God, I pray that your word would glorify yourself and draw us closer to you. Bless us, O oh God Almighty. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We live in an interesting time in human history. Uh, it's one of the most prosperous times in human history. We live in, in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, the United States of America, in, in one of the most prosperous, if not the most prosperous era of all time. And one of the things that kind of goes along with that is what we would call the American dream. Right after World War II, uh, you know, all the soldiers came back and they settled down and they had families and then the baby boomer generation, of which a number of you are a part, kind of, kind of rose and grew up from there. And America, at that point in time, experienced a great deal of prosperity. For so many years in human history, we had been struggling to make ends meet, right? Wealth wasn't something that was accumulated by a lot of people, but the middle class began to grow, and it became common, at least attainable, for you to own a house, you to have maybe a cottage for the weekend up north, you to have a boat, you to have many of these things. These things became attainable. And it became attainable through a number of reasons. One of the big ones is hard work. That is an ethic that we, that we really value. As Americans, as people who were born, many of you, in the, in the middle of the 20th century, that's something that we value, is really, really, really hard work. But one of the things is, as we get wealthier and wealthier as a people, as we get more and more things, there's more and more to do. I am not a homeowner at this point in time, although, you know, I hope to one day own a home. And one of, the, one of the things that's a great blessing about that is if there's something that goes wrong because I am a renter 
All I have to do is call the apartment complex and they'll come out and try to fix it and probably fail. But then I, I call them again and we get it enough times and it's their expense, their time, their energy. But when you're a homeowner and something goes wrong, it's up to you to fix it. When you own a car and something goes wrong, it's up to you to fix it. The more things that you have, the more time you spend maintaining them. And it can be hard in a culture that really values hard work, individual effort. Sometimes it's hard to stop. We're very familiar with the five-day work week, right? But on the weekends, there's, there's projects, there's things to do. We have to keep going and going and going and doing and doing and doing in order to maintain what we have. It can be hard to just stop and rest. Perhaps for those of us who are part of the younger generation, I'm looking over here, we, we didn't necessarily grow up in you know, the, the post-50s, um, post-World War II baby boomer generation, but we are familiar with being constantly connected. Right? I have my phone in my pocket right now, and it's on airplane mode, but if it weren't, I could text people, I could call people, I could get on the internet, see what's going on, check soccer scores, do whatever I wanted to do. I am used to that, having grown up in that generation. And a number of you, even if you haven't grown up in that generation, you're used to being constantly interconnected. But a result of those two things, and I don't think either the, the work ethic or being interconnected is a bad thing, but one of, the, one of the results of that is sometimes it's just hard to stop. A few minutes ago, when we, before I came in order to, to pray, we had just a few moments of silence. A few moments to just spend time in your pew praying and reflecting before the service. Whenever we do that, there's always an awkwardness in the air. You guys feel that? There's always just a little bit of attention, a little bit of creaking in your chair. You know, you can hear the sounds of everyone going on, everyone moving around you. If someone whispers, I can usually hear it. There's an uneasiness because we as a people are not necessarily good at stopping, at resting. We're used to always being connected. We're used to always needing to do and do and do and do. It's really interesting to me that in all of the Ten Commandments, right, God gave us ten big things that we need to remember. There's other things in the book of Deuteronomy, but there's ten big ones. One of those things is the command to just do nothing for a day. Right? Most of the commands that God gives, he says, don't, don't do this one thing over here. Right? Don't kill. And you say, okay, don't kill, got it. Don't commit adultery, okay, don't commit adultery, got it. Then there's a few commands where you're commanded to do something. Okay, I have to go and do this festival, I have to you know, offer a sacrifice if this happens. But this command is a little bit different. It's a command to just do nothing. The seventh day of the week, the Sabbath day, those two words are really, really similar in Hebrew, by the way. So if you would have heard seven, you would have heard Sabbath and kind of vice versa. But the seventh day, the Sabbath day, you were supposed to rest and take it off. If we can zoom out a little bit, if we can remember where we've been in the book of Deuteronomy, we are spending the summer 
going through the fifth book of the Bible. The word Deuteronomy means second law. And in the story of Israel's, um, you know, leaving Egypt and going to the promised land, they were slaves in Egypt for a while. They were slaves in Egypt, even though God had promised to their forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, he promised them, he said, you are going to have a great nation that comes from you. You're going to live in the land. You're going to be a blessing, and you're going to be blessed. But Israel was caught into slavery. And so in the book of Exodus, it describes God going down into Egypt and redeeming them by sparing no expense to bring them out. The Bible says God does it by a strong right arm. He flexes his muscles, goes down, shows all kinds of signs and wonders, proves that he is greater than the God of the Egyptians. He brings them out through the Red Sea to escape the armies of Pharaoh. He brings them through death to escape death, brings them to Mount Sinai, where he comes down and says to them, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And right after he says that, he gives them ten commandments, ten sayings. And he doesn't do this as a series of hoops for them to jump through in order to earn his favor. We know that Israel already has God's favor, right? Deuteronomy 7, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Why does God love them? The reason given in Deuteronomy 7, God loves them because he loves them. But what What he wants from them is not rigid, dutiful obedience, but he wants love back from them. That's why the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Because of who God is, because of what he has done, he calls us to love him. He calls us to be loyal to him. And when we love him, when we are loyal to him, when we keep his commandments, again, those are not simply just a series of hoops to jump through in order to win favor with God. They are, in fact, God's blessing on our lives. If you really want to live in the way of blessing, if you really want to know what it is to be blessed by God, as God promised Abraham that his descendants would be, follow God's commands. We're not going to go through all of the Ten Commandments in this summer series. We don't really have time for that. Maybe we will in the future. The first and second commandment we kind of already covered on the past several weeks as we looked at the Shema, right? That great, uh, the the creed that each Israelite would would have recited every single day. Right? I am the Lord your God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord. That that command, it, it really sums up the first few commandments. But I wanted to focus on this one, the fourth commandment remembering the Sabbath day in order to keep it holy. Because there's something about it that just kind of goes against who we are in our modern, fast-paced, always connected, really busy, workaholic culture. God says, for one day a week, for the seventh day, just rest. Just relax. Don't worry about doing. Don't worry about being enough or any of those things. Just stop and relax. Israel actually had a number of these rhythms. They had um, a rhythm for, you know, kind of once a week. They had a few different festivals several times a year. 
right? Every, every seventh day, they would have to stop and do no work. But three times a year, and it's interesting to see as you read through the Bible how the number seven shows up in all of these feasts. But three times a year, there was a, there was a feast that they had to go and celebrate in Jerusalem. The Passover lasted for seventh or seven days, and they had an extra Sabbath, regardless of when the Passover fell, an extra Sabbath on the seventh day. Seven weeks after the first harvest came, they had the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of the Harvest, where they celebrated what God had done for them and provided for them. They had the Feast of Booths, where they remembered, they remembered God having, having redeemed them and the time they spent in the wilderness. And they had that feast for seven days. Number seven keeps popping up in here. If you wonder why, keep wondering. We'll get to that. Every seven years beyond that, Right, so they had the weekly thing, they had a few times a year thing. Every seven years, if you were a farmer, you just had to let your land be, it had to sit idle. Right, you could farm for six years, but the seventh year you couldn't farm anything. You had to trust that God would provide you with enough food to get through that seventh year. You had to let your land rest. Beyond that, every 50 years, seven times seven was 49. So every 49 years, they had this, uh, the festival of Jubilee. And if you were in debt, your debt got forgiven in the year of Jubilee. If you were a slave, you got released in the year of Jubilee. If you were in a really hard time financially and you had to sell some of your family's land, you got to get that land back in the year of Jubilee. But Israel has all of these rhythms, all of these reminders of the sevens, all of this holy, sacred time, these times that were set aside for remembering what God had done and for reflecting that back to their neighbors and to the people around them. So why all of these rhythms? When we say remember the Sabbath day, we're not just talking about the one day, although it's talking primarily about that one day. But why those, all those festivals? Why leave your land rest for every seven years? Why have a period of time every 49 years where debts get forgiven? Why all of those things? There's actually two lists of the Ten Commandments in the Bible. The common one, the, the first one, is in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, if you're studying the Ten Commandments, that's probably the one you go to first, right? Like right when God brings Israel out of Egypt and he comes and makes a relationship with them, that's where the first commandment is. But it's also repeated. I mentioned earlier that Deuteronomy means the second law. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and the generation that had come out of Egypt, they died. And all of their children and people who had not been born yet, they kind of grew up in the wilderness, and they needed to hear the law a second time. So that's what Deuteronomy means. It means second law. And so the Ten Commandments are repeated again in Deuteronomy 5. So they're listed in Exodus 20, and they're listed in Deuteronomy 5. The interesting thing, though, the interesting thing is that the reason given for keeping the Sabbath day in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5 is different each time. It's, a, it's something that seems like maybe a bit of a contradiction, but I don't think it really is. I think that there's a couple different aspects of the Sabbath day that we need to remember. The reason given in the book of Deuteronomy that we just read a few minutes ago is this. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Right? He flexed his muscles. Therefore, 
The Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What does that have to do with keeping the Sabbath day? God redeemed you, so you have to take every seventh day off. That doesn't seem like it connects, right? On a first reading, you say, what, what is going on here? What does God taking them out of Egypt have to do with them taking every seven days off? We remember, though, that the reason God redeemed Israel from Egypt was it because Israel was a great power and they had a lot of military might to offer God? No. Was it because Israel was a really righteous nation and they were, you know, really better than everybody else and they were suffering in Egypt and so God said, they, they're too righteous to be suffering, so I'm going to redeem them? No. God redeemed Israel simply because he loved them. God came down and redeemed Israel from out of Egypt. He spared no expense. And Israel didn't contribute anything. God was the one who spared no expense. God was the one who showed all of these signs and wonders, showed that he was greater than all of the gods of the Egyptians. It was God who did it. And so when they Remember the Sabbath day. They were remembering that they were not responsible for their own redemption. Their freedom was not because of them. Their freedom was because of God. And so every seven days, when it came time to stop, whether they were well off, whether they didn't know where the next day's food was coming from, they were called to trust God through it all. Because ultimately, it wasn't Israel's work. It wasn't the work of everyone that put food on the table or that provided for their needs. It was God. And if you take one day off every week, right, you know, in a more modern culture like today, again, we are more prosperous, and taking one day off isn't necessarily that big of a financial hit for us. Maybe it is for some of you. But for most of us, it's not as big of a deal. But to take a day off then... Maybe, maybe that had actually some significant consequences. But to take a day off was to trust that ultimately it wasn't you who was going to provide for your next meal. It was God. Right? It wasn't the Israelite who brought themselves out of Egypt. It was God. It's not you who's going to accomplish God's redemption in this world. It's God. We have to believe that God will supply our needs. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 32. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow, Neither do they reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life's span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, the flowers of the field, how they grow. They don't work 
They don't make clothes for themselves. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. A flower just grows, and it's more glorious than Solomon in all of his glory. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? You people of little faith. Do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things all the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. I like the version of this, um, of this parable. I believe it's the one from Matthew. We read the one from Luke, where he talks about which one of you, by worrying, can add a single cubit to his, to his height. I am a vertically challenged individual. Not that short, but I'm like 5'7". And I, I can spend all of my time worrying about how to get taller, and it won't work. I can wish all I want to. I can, you know, drink all of the milk that I want. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You don't get taller. In the same way, we should trust God to provide all of our needs. Worrying, anxiety over all of these things aren't going to fix the problem. And so when God calls us to rest, when God says, remember the Sabbath day, Don't do any work in it. Do all of your work in six days. The seventh day, rest. Remember that just as God brought Israel out of Egypt, so he redeemed us as well. And he will provide us all our needs. Remember, little flock, God has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. God is doing a great work in the world. He is building his church. He is working in and among us to fix everything. And he will do it whether or not we participate in his work or not. So rest. Don't be afraid to trust him to do those things. There are two lists of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. There's one in Deuteronomy, where the reason given is to trust because God has brought you out of the land of Egypt. There's also one in Exodus. And the reason given is a completely different reason. Here's what it is. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. So God makes the heaven above, he makes the earth that we're standing on, that makes the sea beneath it. And he rests on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Completely different reasoning. Again, maybe we're not super sure what the connection is, but let's dive into that. So for six days, God spends his time and effort forming and filling the creation, right? At the beginning, the earth was empty and void and formless, and God spends his time saying, this is here, this is here, we're going to fill this with some fish, we're going to do this over here, and he spends six days making creation. He makes a garden, a garden where Adam and Eve can go and be with him. But we should remember that the entire world that God created wasn't the garden, 
on the outside of the garden, it was still kind of that empty, formless kind of thing. And God intended Adam and Eve, as they, as they got older, as they had kids, as they began to multiply, he intended them to spread out the garden, to go and continue doing his work of forming and filling the creation. They're supposed to kind of expand the garden as humanity grew in its perfection. They're supposed to expand it and keep it growing and going more and more. But in the center of it, was this place where Israel, excuse me, not Israel, Adam and Eve could come in order to worship God. Six days, forming, filling, creating, doing all of these things, working to make the world more and more complete. But the seventh day was for fellowship. Whatever was on the outside of the garden, on the inside of the garden, was where Adam and Eve could go to meet with God. Eden was the place where heaven met earth. Eden was the place where Adam and Eve could go and they could fellowship with God as they walked along with him in the cool of the day. They were given a place to do it. Work is not a a post-fall thing, right? We do not work because the world has been broken. Adam and Eve were given tasks to do before creation fell. Now, it wasn't hard. It wasn't, it wasn't the grind and the rat race that it is today, right? Adam and Eve never got home after a long day of work and took off their shoes and said, Ugh, I'm done. I'm dead. I need a nap. I'm just going to watch Netflix all night and then go to bed. That, ne- that never happened. But they still worked. And even though they worked without it being a heavy thing for them, they were still supposed to take that seventh day off, as God did, in order to spend time with him. That seventh day is symbolic of something. It teaches us something in the very number itself. Right? We as, we as modern Americans, we're not used to necessarily numbers having a lot of significance. But the number seven to an ancient Israelite was really, really significant. It was the number of completion, the number of wholeness. That's why God rests on the seventh day because his work is finished, right? It's looking forward to the day when when he comes back again and he fixes everything. Remember how we read Hebrews 4 uh, earlier in the service, and it talks about how we should strive to enter God's rest. It looks forward to the day in which his work is finally and completely done in this world, and we finally get to rest and relax. We enter the rest of God when it's finally completed when the seven is finally fulfilled. That's why the number seven pops up so many times in all of these festivals that Israel's supposed to have. In all of these rhythms of life, these rhythms of sacred time, the number seven pops up over and over and over because it was a reminder that we are supposed to stop and rest in God's completed work in order to spend time with him. There's two points to the Sabbath day. One, we are supposed to remember and rest and trust that God will accomplish his work in the world. Second, we are supposed to recognize that what we're doing here on Sunday mornings is unique and special. You may have heard people talk about, you'll you'll hear this phrase every once in a while, right? I worship God on the golf course, or I worship God at the lake, 
or I worship God from my own bed on Sunday morning because I stayed up too late on Saturday and now I can't go to church. You've heard this, right? This, this is a common thing that people will say. And I know that everyone here is actually in church on Sunday mornings, so we're kind of preaching to the choir here, but regardless, that's something that people will say. I can worship God somewhere else. But there's something about coming into the sanctuary into the presence where God is, into where his people gather. There's something special about what we do here that we don't get other places. There's something special about the preaching of the word, about what I'm doing now, not because of me, by no means because of me, but there's something special about reading the word of God and proclaiming it that you can't get from a podcast or from Channel 49, or any of these other things. There's something special about the preaching of God's word. When we have a baptism, when we take the Lord's Supper, there's something special about that. It's more than just remembering, but it's tasting of God's flesh. It's remembering and being in God's very presence. There's something special about it. So when God calls us to take every seventh day off, he's not just saying rest, although he's certainly saying rest. He's saying, come and participate in fellowship with me. Come gather with the people of God. Come remember what God has done. Come commune with him. And God says, remember the Sabbath day. He reminds us of these two things. So I want to encourage all of you to remember these two things in your daily lives. Being a pastor is one of those jobs where there's always, there's always something else to do, right? I could spend 80 hours a week being a pastor of even a very small church. I could. There's always something else and something else and something else. And when I go home at night, when I, when I have my day off on the weekend, when I'm spending time with my wife and my little cute son, sometimes, in the back of my mind, there's a little voice. I think you guys are familiar with the voice. I don't think I'm alone in this, maybe I am. But the little voice says, oh, you could do a little bit more. You, can, you could just, you could do this one thing over here. You can always, you can do this, this one thing right here. You left this undone and you left, and that voice is lying to me. Not that, I mean, I can do more things. That's not the lie. The lie is that God's work depends on me. That's a lie. God is working in this world. He is accomplishing his will. He is fixing everything and bringing it about. And one day we're going to participate in God's beautiful, glorious creation... And when we look at it and we see how great and how beautiful it is, it won't be because of us that it's there. Now, yes, God may use us to help build it. We might participate in God's work in the world, but ultimately, it's his work and not ours. Ultimately, the work of ministry in this church is God's work. It's not mine. It's not yours. We can participate in it. Absolutely, we can, we can work in order to build the church up, but it doesn't depend on us. So rest. Don't listen to that little voice. Know that God is working in this world and that he will accomplish what he will accomplish. So take time to rest. Number two, 
take time to seek God's face. Every seven days, Israel had to stop and remember who God was and what he had done for them. Three times a year, they had to go down to Jerusalem and they had to participate in a festival in a certain type of way. Every seven years, they had to let their land lie and not plant any crops on it. Every 49 years, they had to release debts and release slaves and all of these things, but they had all of these rhythms where they remembered God and sought his face. So I encourage each of you, have those rhythms as well. Now, I'm not saying three times a year we have to go to Jerusalem. That's a whole Old Covenant, New Covenant conversation that we're not going to all dive into today. But I encourage you, have a daily rhythm where you just stop, take time to rest, Turn your phone off, turn the TV off. Take time to seek God's face. I encourage you to read the Bible. I know a lot of people tend to read like the Our Daily Bread things or they read a devotional that comes in something. That's, that's really good. But take time to read just the Bible because God has given us his word in order to study and read and affect our lives. Weekly, come to church. I praise God that every single one of you are here. But keep coming and encourage other people to come. Not because, you know not for my ministry or for the, purpose of the purposes of the church or anything like that, but for you. Come and gather and seek God's face where he is to be found among his people. Maybe take seasonal times, times of fasting perhaps, times every couple of weeks where you get together with God's people to confess sin and to pray with each other. Have these rhythms. Rest, yes, but don't just rest. Don't just take a day off. Take time to seek God's face and to spend time with him. We serve a God who has created this entire world, spoken it into existence, but he also took time to rest. We serve a God who redeemed Israel from out of Egypt, who brought them through death to escape from death, and the same God came down to this world, suffered and died on the cross, not because he deserved to die, but because we deserve it. We, through his death, escape death. And because of who God is, because of what God has done for us, take time to rest and take time to seek his face. Will you pray with me?